0: And so, Lord, I pray over your people right now that peace would settle upon their hearts and minds and the kind that passes understanding. God, that doesn't necessarily make sense given circumstances, but is simply a result of you teaching us again who you are. And as we recognize that, Man, why wouldn't we trust an almighty God of love who gave his own son as a sacrifice for us that we might be free? Who else can we trust but you? There's no one like you. And so Lord, show us how, not even just in this moment, but after we leave here and in this week and when a stressful meeting's coming up or our family's going through hard things, everybody else is anxious around us, Teach us how to put our eyes on You so that that peace which surpasses understanding can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We love You. We thank You. We praise You. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You all may have a seat. It sure is good to see you guys this morning and to be worshiping with you. Thank you, Michael. And uh, a happy Veterans Day weekend uh, to you all. Uh, Before I just jump right in, uh, if you have served in any way in our United States Armed Forces, would you please stand so that we can honor you and thank you together as a church? Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And I, just want, I want to just pray together uh, for them, can we? For them and just for veterans across our nation. So if you'll join me. And Lord, we thank you um, for s- so many sacrifices that have been given uh, by those who just stood and by all those, uh, the thousands, hundreds of thousands that, that serve our nation. Lord, we pray that that gratitude won't be lost on us. Uh, There will not be lost on us the ways that they have worked for peace, the ways that they have uh, given, been away from their families, the ways that they step into this, many of them not because of the money at all, but because of of a sense of honor and a desire to serve others and make a difference. Lord, I thank you for them. And Lord, I want to pray together uh, just for the well-being, the overall well-being of veterans in this nation. Lord, so many of them still carry ex- external wounds, but many of them carry internal wounds, God of, of PTSD and, and other mental uh, just challenges that have come as a result of things that they've experienced. Lord, I, I can't imagine what it's like uh, to go on the front line to experience what many of them have, and so, Lord, I pray that you you meet them with healing that you provide resources that our veterans need, God, that they can flourish and thrive. God, for those who are, who are transitioning into civilian life right now, Lord, I pray that you guide them, uh, point them in the right direction. And, and just for, for Christians across our nation, God, show us how we can be there for them uh, during a time where it can be very stressful trying to figure out a lifestyle uh, back in civilian life. And for those who are beginning service, um, in any of our armed forces. Lord, I pray that you come alongside of them, that you place chaplains alongside of them, that followers of you alongside of them. Uh, God, that, that you guide them and show them that you are always with them and that there would be many who come to faith as a result of that. And Lord, I also want to pray for the families of our vets, um, especially those serving right now um, who, who are living uh, in this constant state of of not sure where their spouse is, perhaps, or having to spend a year even away from uh, their loved one. Lord, I pray that you come alongside of them. And again, as a church and as the church in America, show us how we can be a support to those families um, whose whose spouses have chosen to serve our nation because they're serving it too in their own way. And so, Lord, um, again, may gratitude swell in our hearts. Um, May we not be lost on us. And may we be a blessing to our vets um, as they have been to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you all. And so for the last two weeks, uh, we've been talking about a topic that Jesus talked about a lot. And what is it? Money. Money. (laughs) Money. In fact, we've named the series Jesus Talks Money and, and this is going to be our, our third and final week in this series. And you know, we could spend a ton of time because Jesus, in all the parables and teachings he gave, he talked about it a lot. But this is going to be our final week because next week is Baptism Sunday, which is going to be super fun. And believe it or not, Advent starts the week after that. It's already Christmas time, folks. But don't forget about Thanksgiving, all right? Don't forget about that. So, um, we're, but the reason why we're bringing this up is because as our, as our world anxiously talks about the economic uncertainty around us, we want to go back and say, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say about money? So week one, uh, we open up his words in Matthew 6, trying to catch a vision for how do we manage what God has given us with an eye on eternal value, not just temporary And then week two, last week, Pastor David opened up Matthew 6 again. But looking at why, why does money and anxiety often travel together? But how do we instead seek first the kingdom of God? And then this week, we're going to talk about a topic that everybody expects the preacher man to bring up eventually. And that's giving and generosity. Giving and generosity. But before you get suspicious or before you tune out on me, Remember, it's not my job to tell you what Kirk thinks about this. It's my job to unpack what Jesus says about this. But I also think it's important that I say, um, because I've had some people say after a sermon, I said, I feel like you were looking at me when you said that sermon. (laughs) Let let me tell you, I, I make a point just as a pastor of this church. I know how much is given to the church, but I don't know how much individuals give within this church. Okay, And I do that on purpose. All right, so if you think I'm looking at you, I'm not. Okay, I'm not today. But, but the reason why I want to go back to what Jesus says is because every time I go back to his words, it doesn't matter when, his words are always encouraging but convicting. All right, like, like they're, they're challenging, but at the same time, they, they, they're liberating, aren't they? And the question, because giving has so many just, I don't know, stuff all around this topic— the question I want to ask today to slice right through it is this. When does our giving and generosity put a smile on Jesus' face? What is it that Jesus really cares about in this whole topic of giving and generosity? So my son Knox, he's in kindergarten, and he just finished his first season of soccer First time he's ever played soccer, just finished it. And man, before the season started, he could not wait to play. He, he has more, more energy than a terrier. I mean, just all over the place. And he, he just loves sports. And so when we finally got the opportunity to sign him up uh, for the local uh, league here, he jumped at it. And nearly every Saturday morning this fall, he would get up early. He would get downstairs, eat his breakfast quickly, which he never does, and then he would strap on the cleats and the shin guards and all the rest. And then about 8.15, he and I would walk from our house right here down to Ipswich River Park uh, to join his team. And, and I, I, I'm not sure why exactly I did this, but I signed up to be an assistant coach of his team, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious because I don't know what I'm doing. But, but it turns out you don't need to know what you're doing with kindergarten soccer, like you, you just got to get the, get the kids moving, and then eventually organize a scrimmage with another team. Uh, the last twenty five minutes of our time, and so we do that every nearly every Saturday. And 9.30, everything would be done, and we'd be walking back from the park back to our house. And right away, Knox would say, Dad, we won. Or, Dad, this is how many goals I scored. And all of that. Which I was like, man, that's good, bud. Like, because the re- what he thought is the thing that impressed him the most, and the thing he assumed impressed me the most, was his stat sheet. Right? His stat sheet. But I'll be honest with you guys no one in kindergarten soccer keeps track of the score, (laughs) except him, just him. But the thing that impressed me the most was not his stat sheet. What I was looking for every Saturday was, did he try his best? Was he a good teammate? Did he have fun? Like, those are the things that impressed me. And because of that, on our way home, I would inevitably steer the conversation back to one of those things. Well, in our giving game... (laughs) What is it that impresses Jesus the most? You know, like Knox, I've often thought that my giving stat sheet is what impresses him. How much I give, how often I give, what percentage I give. But where does Jesus steer the conversation on this? So we're going to look at the short story in Mark 12, verse 41 to 44. Looking, asking that question, when does our giving put a smile on Jesus's face? But to give us a little context before we read this, this takes place in Jerusalem at the temple during the time of Passover. And so it's a wild place. But Jesus is is taking his disciples, his 12 guys, to an area called the temple treasury. And there he points out to a giver. And he says, I want you to notice her. The thing is, no one else noticed her except him. So why did he point out this woman who gave? That's what we're going to be looking at. And how can we catch his perspective and in turn discover the joy and the freedom of a generous life? So Mark 12, verse 41. If you want to turn the Blue Bibles, we're on page 825. Otherwise, you can follow with me on the screen. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. So, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, whenever he says that, it means pay attention to this. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Lord, this topic of giving is uh, its a hard one. Um, it's a hard one for me, personally. You've challenged me in ways with this word that I need to go and cons- just consistently talk to you about. Um, and Lord, I, I pray, though, that your word will accomplish the purpose you have for it. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord. And, and show us how you see this topic of giving so that you can lead us in your free, joyful way. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. amen. So I, I call this story a classic wait what story, wait what story. So like when my kids get to the end of dinner and they said, dad, we don't need dessert tonight. I say, wait, what? <laughs> like when, when I hear somebody say they just had an RMV appointment and it went quick, I say, wait, what? <laughs> and, and when Jesus says, here, that poor widow, she's your example for giving. It's meant to make us, wait, what? We're gonna stop. And reconsider what we think we know about this whole thing of giving. As the Lord, as our Lord, as the one we follow, what does He expect in this? Well, there's a couple wait what realizations this story brings out. The first one it's possible to give away more money to God than others while not giving God our worship. Let me say that again. It's possible to give away all kind of money while not giving God our worship in the process. So first, let's understand the scene that's happening in front of Jesus and the 12 right here. Because the temple in Jerusalem was a massive place. It had many different parts, courts, compartments to it. And and Jesus, given that it's the time of the Passover, the temple would have been like Disney in June, right? Just absolutely mobbed with people. And Jesus leads his guys to one part called the Temple Treasury, where there were 13 uh, brass collection chests that were much like this one on the screen. I'm sorry if you can't see it very well. But it's that like trumpet-shaped looking container there, wide at the top, narrow in the middle, then wide again at the bottom. where There were 13 of these there. Now, um, as part of the Jewish worship life, You may have heard before that the Jewish people were required to give 10% of everything that they produced or owned, which is called a tithe. And they were to give it to the priests and those who upheld the worship life of Israel. But that 10% was not given in these containers. That's not what these were for. These were for, one, for for the Jewish males who were coming for the Passover or other festivals to give a temple tax. One. But two... Uh, this is where everyone else gave what was called a free will offering. Those of you who've been like old church days, like, you know, you heard of free will offerings, haven't you? Yeah, but this is called a free will offering, which is a, a voluntary financial gift above and beyond the tax or the tithe. The free will offering was meant to express their gratitude to God for who He was and how He had provided for them. However, what The true motive of givers uh, didn't always work out that way. And Jesus wants us to see something here because a lot of people used this moment, Passover, a lot of people around to show off a little bit. Because you see, a lot of the wealthy would come in with these fat sacks of fat coins and then they would turn that sack over and how do you think metal coins in a brass collection thing is going to sound? Right? Like, like that's exactly what they were doing. And anybody in the crowds who are sitting watching this would go, Oh, wow. Look at that guy. They might as well have been holding up one of those big old fat checks and taking pictures for the newspaper. Right? Because, man, they are righteous. And see, the giving stat sheet looked impressive to everybody else, except Jesus. Now, having money is not bad. Giving is not bad. But Jesus wants to look at the heart of this, the motives for it. Because instead of an expression of worship to God, we can give to get something in return. Jesus saw that while the, the, the wealthy were laying in fat coins in that thing and calling it giving, they weren't really giving. They were buying public reputation, honor. They were giving to get recognition. And Jesus said they gave out of their wealth or their surplus or their extra, which meant like none of their giving required any change in their lifestyle. It wasn't a sacrifice for them, but they just gave the amount they had on top knowing what they were getting in return, a good reputation. That instead of worship, Giving became a business decision like anything else. If I give this sum of money, what benefit does it add to me? Is that not the same logic we use when buying a house or a sandwich? Yes. And it's possible to give with that same logic. But I find if if, if we're not necessarily tempted by large gifts in public... It is possible that many of us give to God because we believe that when we give, he must bless us. Give to get. God, I've not only given the tithe and everything you required, but I've given above and beyond. So surely you will bless me, a.k.a. God, you owe me. God, you owe me. That instead of giving out of a grateful heart for how God has blessed us worship, I'm giving so that I will be entitled to God's blessing. It's a subtle difference in words, but a huge difference in heart. You guys hear that? In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus even calls out the religious leaders. He said, you guys, you give a tenth of everything, even of your herb garden. Right? But Your hearts don't really care about the thing God cares about, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says, giving for you guys has just become a ruse for selfish gain. And so Jesus says in response, he says, you should have practiced the latter. He says, don't stop giving, but remember why you're giving. Man, this has challenged me. I mean, as a kid, um, as soon as I could earn an allowance, my parents taught me, they said, Kirk, 10% of what you get goes to your local church. If you get a $5 allowance, 50 cents goes in the offering, which was tough, man, because that action figure was always five bucks. And four fifty, man, I had to wait a second week. But that was something they taught me from, from early on. It's just a good habit, not law, but it's just habit. But over the years, this is something that Shelby and I have continued, but I've had to stop and, and check my motives on it, because many times I've wondered, like, am I giving out of gratitude for God? Is this an act of joy from me? Or am I doing this because I'm afraid that God won't bless me if I don't give? Or am I afraid that I will feel guilty if I don't give? You see that, this is a different motive still, isn't it? And so God has had to check me, and His response to me is the same as the response to the relig- religious leaders. The answer is not to stop giving, but to remember why. But if we're, if we're if our relationship with giving is giving to get, then we may choose to not give because we don't get. After calculating it out, I may just conclude that well, if I give this amount of money, it's not really a much benefit to me. It doesn't allow me to do the things that I want. So maybe I won't give this time. But is that not just the same calculation? How does this benefit me? I mean, like, if the tax write-off isn't good enough and, or if it doesn't give me enough to do what I want. Uh... And a good way to check our hearts on this is just to say, God, like, <laughs> to think, like, when we decide to give, do we actually consult God on it? Or do we just make that internal calculation on our own without ever asking God, "What do you want me to give?" And when we decide to give or not give based on how it serves us, we've missed the point. You guys, okay? It was quiet first service too. This point, but that's that's the real. Well, what's what's the point for giving? It's an expression of worship gratitude, trust in our God. But if I'm only given when it benefits me, I've, I've missed it. And that's why Jesus points us to the poor widow. Because he, he wants to teach us from her example. And what is it? No one else noticed her? Jesus did. Why? And this gets us to our, our second, wait, what? Realization. Realization. Which is, it's possible to give away less money to God than others while giving God all our worship. And I imagine this scene again where Jesus and his twelve there in the temple treasury, and you see the, the the people with big old piles of cash coming and clink, 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 clink. clink and his disciples are going like, oh, and they start whisper, shouting to each other, Did you see that? Did you see that? My goodness. It must be nice. And Jesus is unmoved. And then all of a sudden, this poor widow comes up. She's wearing the same tattered clothes that she wears every day. And she comes up and she's holding in her hand two lepta, which are, I mean, together worth less than a penny. It's the smallest coin denomination they had in that day. And she goes, tink, tink. And Jesus says, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? Because to those in, impressed by giving stat sheets, her gift was nothing. But Jesus saw that it was everything. And she gave more than anyone. He's not saying poverty is good here, but he's amazed at her trust. And he said, she said, she gave Verse 44, all she had to live on, which can also be translated, she gave her whole life. And if she had been calculating what benefit it would be for her to give, there's no way she would give. I mean, those two coins might have been her next and only meal. Why would she give that? But in putting those coins in, she's displaying her trust and the God over her life. She knows who her provider is. She knows the one who breathes life into her lungs. She knows who sustains her. She knows who owns it all and who loves her with a steadfast love. There can't be any calculation in in her, but she's expressing that my God is worth it all. This is an expression of worship. And while her coins in the collection chest caused no one else to notice, they reverberated in the heart of our Messiah, our Redeemer. Because he recognized that in her was a heart very similar to his own. Radical generosity. That she wasn't calculating, like, how can I impress someone? Or how can I get something from God in this? She's asking, how can I please my God? And so when she gave, she gave the guarantee of her next meal in worship. Doesn't that sound like Jesus who said that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. She was trusting her life into her God's hands. In the same way, Jesus sacrificially gave his life on a cross for your and my sin. And then he committed his own spirit, his own life into his father's hands. You see, out of his endless generosity, it was God's, the, God the father's will to send God the son to pay our insurmountable debt of sin with his life. If any of us tries to pay our way to God in our own good deeds alone, guess what? That screen's gonna come up insufficient funds over and over and over again because there's no way that we can do enough to attain to the holy standard of God. No way. For that reason, God took on flesh. And he became one of us. And he put his radical generosity and love on display as he suffered and died on that cross in our place. And as we behold his infinite generosity and grace toward us, we realize he's worth it all. All. And then if I realize, man, I'm given to get God's blessing, it's because I haven't quite grasped yet what it is he's already given to me. And if I don't give out of fear of not having enough, then do I, do I really know who my Father is? Because in divine generosity and radical grace, we have been redeemed from the debt that we owed to God so that we no longer have to live for ourselves or from fear or from guilt, but we live from a place of trust, gratitude, and joy. And it is trust and gratitude and joy that become the soil within which worship grows. And our giving becomes worship when all God's given us is offered back to Him. You see, when we're living from a place of trust, gratitude, and joy because we know what has been generously poured out upon us, our question is not, how much do I have to give? I mean, I've asked that so many times that God is like, like uh, 10% on the net or the gross. I got to get this right, right? (laughs) But the heart of worship says, Lord, it's all yours anyway. So what do you want me to do with it? How are you leading me to give of the resources you've entrusted to me? Now, giving 10% or a tithe, like, it's not a law, Some people almost treat tithing like it's the only law left over from the New Testament. It's not. It's it's, it's a benchmark. It's a goal. But I recognize, man, tithe is a big sacrifice for some, but 10% is not a sacrifice for others. So that's why it's important that when we approach this topic of giving, we are in conversation with God. We're saying, God, what do you want me to do with this? Because it's possible that we can give 10% without ever talking to God about it. But he, only, he wants us to be in conversation with him, saying, God, what do you want me to give with what you've entrusted to me? What pleases you? And when we're living from that place of, of worship instead of guilt or selfish calculation, what happens? When we give back to God all that he's, when, we, when all that God's given to us is given back to him, He does and can do above and beyond what we can. Now, I want to make one more point about this poor widow in this story that I think is really important for us to see. Because one of the reasons why she is so poor is because the religious system and institution around her had failed her. All the way back in Deuteronomy, God told the Israelite people, He said, you are to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. That's one of many places he says that. That includes this poor widow. But instead, Jesus recognized, right before this story about the widow, he calls out religious leaders. He says, you guys, you probably have Deuteronomy memorized. But yet, you devour widows' houses and you take, not give. And as a result, I wouldn't blame this poor widow when she says, you know what? Forget this whole religious institution thing. Or even forget God for how she had been neglected by her own people. But even though human beings had been selfish and people who were supposed to represent God instead took advantage of her and they had forgotten her, She knew her God had not forgotten her, nor would he ever. She may have even been angry at those who have forgotten her, but she didn't allow her anger to harden her heart toward her God. And I say this because I know enough stories of people who have been wounded by those who claim to represent God. Are we allowed to talk about that in this church? Man, we better talk about it in church. And if you've been hurt or wounded, I'm deeply sorry. It's not how it should be. I, too, have carried my own hurts from church stuff. And I'm sure that I've hurt people in the process, too. And I've had to walk through my own seasons of healing. But I bring this up because I know when a pastor brings up giving... For a lot of people, it triggers things. For how people representing God have either mismanaged or raised money for the wrong reasons. For those reasons, if you have problems trusting giving to a local church, I just want you to, and you have a problem feeling like that's a wise choice, I just say, I I see where that's coming from, and I'm not going to push it. Right? I don't push it. I pray that anybody here will learn to trust again. But my question is, if we're not given to a local church, then, then are you at least giving? Are you at least in a conversation with God saying, God, where do you want me to give? Because that is an expression of him and his heart and who he is. And for those who may be like the widow, feel as if like you don't have anything to offer or you're struggling to make ends meet, I want you to know that God sees you too. He saw her, he sees you. And many of us wonder, what can God do with my small contribution? But God is saying, you can't imagine what I can do with a life given to me. I mean, 2,000 years later and halfway across the world, and we're still talking about the widow no one else noticed. But Jesus did. And twice, Jesus took a little boy's lunch and fed thousands he gave what he could, and God did the rest. But if you're somebody and you're struggling to make ends meet, we want to let you know that God sees you in practical ways too. First, if you are struggling to pay the bills right now, if there's, there are bills that you're struggling to pay, please reach out to us. We have a group called the Diaconate who manage a Diaconate fund which so many of you give to generously, and I thank you for that. But that fund, 100% of it goes to meet internal needs in this congregation. And if you've got real needs, please reach out to our diaconate, or to me personally, if you're not sure who the diaconate is, kirk at trinitynr.org, and we would love to get you some help and do what we can to help you. But second, if you're struggling like in more than just bills, but you have debt, is insurmountable, or you're not sure how to manage your finances, you just feel like you're, you're drowning in it right now, we want to set you up with someone who can help you. Since the beginning of this series, we've had several people already reach out to us, saying, hey, I need somebody to come alongside of me and show me how to climb out of this financial pit I'm in. Thank you for reaching out. And I thank you that you you did that because I believe God's going to meet you in that. We want to connect those in need with those who can help. And so many of those who can help, they've experienced the financial pit too, so you better believe there's no judgment in this at all. But if you want to know more, if you're interested in connecting with somebody who can help you, please start by filling out that digital connect card. You can scan the QR code on the laminated card on the feedback in front of you, or you can go to our website and follow that link. But in doing so, you just give us your contact info, which is kept confidential, strictly kept confidential, and then mark that you're interested in talking to someone uh, for help with my finances. And then we're, and we'll take it from there and make sure that no one, like, again, no one's information is being thrown out there. We take that seriously, but we do want to help those who need it. But wherever you are financially right now, Jesus is pointing to that widow, creating in us a wait what moment, (laughs) saying, wait, what does Jesus really care about when it comes to our finances and our giving? Giving's not a show. Giving's not a way we justify ourselves for God. It's not a way that we require God to bless us. It's not actually about us. It's an expression of gratitude, worship, joy. For all that God has given to us. And when our hearts belong to Him, our wallets naturally follow. I mean, truth be told, does God really need our money? He's God. But He's looking for our hearts. And He's looking to see and are we willing to lay it, give our whole selves to Him and see what He can do through us to meet needs, to restore the broken. To reach people who do not know him, so that we see his kingdom move forward in his power. And this is one of the ways that we get to participate with him in it, because it all belongs to him anyway. So instead of holding it with clenched fists, my challenge to each of us is to live with open hands and say, God, how do you want me to manage the resources you've entrusted to me? How can I be generous? Like you are with what you've given to me. That's just between you and Him. Our giving becomes worship when all God's given us is offered back to Him. Let's stand. Pray with me. God, you are so good. You are so generous. You, the God of the universe, have given us the very thing most precious. When you took on flesh and gave your very life. And God, I see the ways that you are shaping. You have shaped so many people in this congregation and given them the gift of generosity. And I see your character poured out through them. And I thank you for that. Lord, I, as someone who... um, This has always been an area where I I, I wrestle. You know that. And so, Lord, may you speak to my heart. Show me how would you have me be generous with the things you've given me. And show us as a congregation what it means to, to give, but not from a place of guilt, not from a place of entitlement, but joy, freedom, as a response to what you've given us. Because God, you're worth it all. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.